From the boardroom to the break room, people are feeling the effects of work culture. My name is Wade Billings, and this is Talking Culture. Join me and my guest, Michael Chowie, as we discuss the importance of building a strong culture of security in today's highly connected world. So grab your favorite beverage, get comfy, and join me for another fascinating episode of Talking Culture. Welcome to Talking Culture Podcast. Uh, my guest today is Michael Chowie. Uh, I have known Michael for a few years now, and he and I have some war stories to tell, but uh, we'll see if we get into them in the episode. Uh, but Michael's expertise is built around uh, GRC. And for those of you who don't know what that acronym stands for, uh, that is uh, Governance, Risk, and Compliance. So he gets all the exciting stuff on his desk. Um, but it's, I think it's an interesting topic, uh, especially around work culture, because again, it's, it's probably uh, not the favorite thing for people to talk about at work, but it's very important. And uh, I have been uh, seeing a lot lately in the news about creating a culture of security uh, creating a culture of compliance, and I thought I'll get Michael on the on the podcast to talk about this stuff because he knows it, and I don't. So welcome, Michael. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great You're to welcome. Great to do this. <laughs> no worries. I appreciate you taking the time to uh, to jump on the podcast. This is uh, I think episode four, and. Uh, you know, we're, we'll, we are well on the way to becoming the world's biggest podcast. Love it. Love it. Excellent. <laughs> That's um, my goal. <laughs> so, you know, I've, I've already introduced you and kind of given the audience your, your, uh, uh, your bio. Uh, but what have you been doing as of late? Um, and cause you know, it's, it's, you have an interesting perspective. You get an opportunity to, you know, kind of be an observer, I'm sure, in your current capacity. So I've teased enough. Why don't you explain what you're doing right now? And then we'll start talking how that aligns and interacts with culture. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to. Um, so what I've been up to lately is I started Atlas One Security back in January this year, 2023. Um, it's been a it's been an, frankly, an amazing ride thus far. Of course, it has its its challenges. You know, being a first time entrepreneur and, and building a firm from the ground up. And so, essentially, what we do is we provide our clients with uh, GRC specialized security consulting and advisory services. Uh, okay. Everything from the strategic side to all the way down to tactical. Um, okay. And so that's provided an opportunity for me to get to know all, you know, every client is different um, and each of them have their own set of challenges. But one commonality that I've noticed that they seem to encounter is how can we get folks to get quote unquote with the program? 
whether it's security or compliance, you know, there's a lot of initiatives that we help our clients with, you know, in satisfying XYZ requirements to make our customers happy and maintain trust in the marketplace. Um, With that being said, it's, uh, it's been amazing to see some of the nuanced cultural uh, sort of cases organization to organization. Some are a lot more uh, enthusiastic in in tackling these compliance initiatives and security initiatives. Yeah. Others, not so much. And there needs to be some education around it. Um, it's kind of almost like, it's almost kind of like feeding your kid a spoonful of Dimatap when they're sick. I think, <laughs> I think we all, I think we all yeah. recall how uh, awful that taste is, but you know, it's good for you. Um, and you know, maybe it might not be so pleasant in the beginning, but once you front load all of that and you get used to it and you sort of build that muscle, I feel like it's a muscle that needs to be built. Um, it tends to be a little, a little more palatable eventually. Um, I I love that analogy. Uh, I think it, that instantly, uh, rings true with most people. Uh, I kind of, I use the broccoli and the ice cream metaphor, right? You've got (laughs) to. You've got to eat some broccoli before you get to the ice cream. And, uh, you know, if it's all just ice cream, uh, you know, bad things happen. If it's all broccoli, life's boring. But uh, I think having that mixture is an, is an important part. So let me ask you this. You're working with companies that I would imagine are in a kind of a size spectrum. What does that spectrum look like? Um, and how how is culture being perceived in those various sizes of organizations yeah so so my client base as of right now ranges anywhere between 50 employees to upwards of almost 2500 um okay. i would say the average not that i have like thousands of clients at least not yet one day maybe we'll see um but Typically, the average size I've dealt with has been anywhere between five to five hundred to a thousand employees. Um, okay, culture ranges. It really ranges. Uh, you have some companies that are fifty people strong, but their culture is really a, a culture. And then you have companies that are twenty five hundred that it's completely nil. It's absent. Um, yeah. Or at least the sense of a strong culture is absent. That's uh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, any common threads there around? I mean, is it a, I don't know. I, I have a thesis that startups tend to initially have a strong culture, right? Because again, it's, it's that implicit, oftentimes, sometimes explicit, uh, agreement people have with one another when they get together to, Hey, this is how we're going to interact and behave. And this is how I'm going to treat you and how you're going to treat me. And when it's like five people, that's easy to do. You got five people, right? When you got 50 people, it gets harder. And when you got 500 people, it's near impossible without some form of planning or intention or, or being deliberate is, is, does that hold pretty true with what you're saying? Yeah, I, I would say so. Absolutely. I, I feel like 
feel like a lot of folks or not folks so much, but startups, they'll start out with a really strong culture out of the gates. And then oftentimes they start going through this rapid growth period. And in that rapid growth period, it's almost like a forked road because it starts, it's, it's, it's like, it's going through, um, in in, in a sense, almost like puberty, like you're becoming more self-aware of who you are as a company. You're trying to define really at various stages, what kind of company do we want to be? So at first, you know, you're building a startup, you're obsessed with your product, you're obsessed with, you know, who really is our target market? What kind of people do we want working here? And as the company grows, it's a heck of a lot easier to hire the right fit when you're trying to fill 25 positions than when you're trying to scale and hire, you know, 500 people in a given year. Um, Right. So culture... Culture should never stay, I feel like it shouldn't stay stagnated or it should never stagnate, but it should rather evolve as the company is growing. And oftentimes you'll see a lot of that toxicity in culture uh, occur because leaders, leadership, uh, uh, folks who have been around the company for a long time, uh, they could lose vision for what kind of company they really mm-hmm. want to be because they get lost in the numbers, you know, this obsession with ARR and NARR uh, and all this other, uh, these acronyms that the, uh, the VCs get so hungry for. Um, it, 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 it's, it, it can cause certain leaders to lose sight of who they are as a company. Like what is the soul of the company and how do we maintain it? Cause at the very end of the day, culture to me is, is almost like, the the soul of the company. I mean, yeah. Corporate entities are corporate entities. They're soulless. But if there was to ever be a soul in a company, it would be, um, it, it would it would come back down to culture. So I'm I'm going to put you on the spot, Michael. Uh, you're a CEO and a founder. What's your what's Atlas One Security Culture? Um, you know, uh. That's a, that's a great question. I, I would say there's a sense of culture. It's not like written up in a document and shared with new hires during onboarding or anything like that, mm-hmm. that mature. But right. I would say the personality of Atlas One is striving for quality, like making sure the okay. quality is there, uh, client uh, centricity. So really obsessing about our yep. clients and helping them build programs that are appropriate for their organizational context and risk profile. Uh, okay. And then, uh, you know, I, I'd say we really try to put the fun in compliance. We don't really advertise it so much, but this is sort of what differentiates us from other firms is that, you know, we really care about what your customers want. We really care about what your business wants and needs are. Um, and, not to say that other firms don't feel that way, but it's more so that, you know, if you have a security awareness training program, do you want to check the box or do you want to actually make it fun right. and have your employees really enjoy it? And that ties in with security cultures that folks build. So yeah. taking a people centric approach, whether it's, you know, stakeholders, employees, customers, whomever, um, I would say that obsession of culture and, and driving high performance within Atlas one that I would say is, is our culture. So work hard, play hard, you know, yeah. we don't, we take our work seriously, but we don't take ourselves too seriously. I, I love it. And um, well done. Right. I mean, it's, 
it's like I say, it's it's one of those things that when you having been a founder myself, I know that there are a thousand things that you have to worry about. And, you know, one of them is what is our culture? Um, have I told anybody? Right. Because I'm sure it's crossed your mind as it's crossed the mind of every founder in history, what I want our culture to be like. Um, but if you're not communicating, it could be written, it could be verbal, it could actually be transmitted in, uh, in actions. Um, but if you're not communicating it, then uh, culture is not going to, well, a culture is going to form. It just may not be the culture you want. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, so let's, you, you actually offered me a great segue. So I'm going to take it. So let's segue into culture of security, culture of compliance. Cause again, these are, these are terms of art uh, that are, you know, out there. And I've been a, uh, a fairly big, you know, believer and proponent of compliance and security is about consent and not control. Uh, that, you know, you are, as an organization, if you go to your people and you explain what we're doing, why we're doing it, how it's going to impact them, and what the value is or when will we know we're successful, people can climb aboard, right? And they can go, okay, I, I got, I've, I'm clear on, on all of it. Uh, you know, the CEO is not making arbitrary and capricious decisions. It, it makes sense to me. And I know what my part is. And, um, and I think that that's a cultural hallmark. Um, but on the other side of that, what do you see? I mean, when you walk into a company and they say, we want to create a culture of, of security and compliance, what do they mean? And as opposed to what do they do sort of thing? Yeah. Um, well, I will, I will, I will respond to that starting off with a, with a quick, um, sort of anecdote from a company I yep. once worked for earlier in my career. Um, I'm of the view that compliance is not, it should not be at the center of culture ever. Um, even, even if you're a compliance company. Um, wow. That's a, that's a hot take right it, there. It, yeah. I mean, I, if you say that compliance is part of your culture, that's, <laughs> You're talking about, you know, we're not we're not taking the approach of control. I mean, compliance is literally right. control. Um, right. I once worked for a company where we had a tagline on the intranet, uh, you know, the homepage where you land on it and it's the CEO and he's crossing his arms and he's got a big smile on his face. And next to him is the caption. Compliance is in our DNA. Oh, um, oh. That is, yeah, causes a gag reflex, even with compliance professionals like myself. <laughs> I think uh, I, I, when it comes to security and compliance, I think compliance should not be the driver of security nor culture. Right. I think that right. 
uh, I am of the belief that compliance is a derivative, is the result of good culture and security uh, or of a strong security culture in general, right? We do the things that we do to protect the company and manage risk um, mm. and, to, and to satisfy customer and regulators and all these other external and interested parties. Right. The result of which, if you do those things really well, compliance is basically just documenting what you've done and organizing it. That's it. So yeah. if I were to put that in, a, in the space of where that fits into culture, a strong security culture will result in a strong compliance posture for any organization. Mm. Um, okay. I, think, I think as far as enriching security culture and establishing that, I can tell you if I walk into a company, I could probably pick a, get a good sense of what the security culture looks like if it's even existent uh, within a few conversations with the right people. Uh, Interesting. Yeah. So, you know, GRC is a very cross-functional discipline. Uh, we deal with all sorts of folks from human resources, legal, uh, engineering, um, right. finance, just, you know, the whole myriad across the company, especially sales, actually. Right. We deal a lot with sales folks. Multiple different types of personalities in these functions. Some folks are more type A, others could be, you know, more outgoing and very, you know, out there and they don't like to get into the weeds and they just want the results like now, now, now. And right. <clears throat> if you speak to these people and I, I could pick up on how they feel about security as soon as the call starts, if they seem sort of excited to talk to you, then you have a right. sense that there is a respect for security. There is a, an appreciation for security. Um, and if they don't seem so excited to you and they start talking to you, like you just started a very serious audit or there's <laughs> yeah. eye rolling or anything like that, that probably will tell you that there's not such a great uh, sentiment, strong sentiment towards uh, security. The other thing I would say is I, I would say one of the, funny indicators of how security culture is at a given company. Um, I don't even know if anyone's ever really said this before, but if you go into your training records for security awareness training mm -hmm. and you see the completion rate, if it, yeah. if it's an abysmal completion rate, you likely have a weaker yeah. security culture. If yeah. And that, and that's rooted, that's part of the whole compliance puzzle. So yeah. People take their training. Now we're compliant. Great. We can get through the audit. We can make sure that everyone's trained up for the year, all that good stuff. And you move on. Um, if they don't, then, you know, there's, they're likely, it just basically means that they get an email from security asking them to complete it. They don't want to complete it. Therefore they just, it's, it's in the back of their mind, whereas security should be right. in their mind at some, somewhere kind of closer to the front. Um, so that's, that's one, the, the other, the other sort of signals that I look for when thinking about security culture is how does the sales organization treat their security personnel, especially the wonderful, fearless folks that are on the front lines, completing those lovely security questionnaires, uh, yeah. supporting salespeople like uh, in, in, in the field with their customers joining on customer calls, sort of being their partner throughout that entire sales cycle. 
And what happens is that at the end of that quarter, everyone's in an all hands, they're celebrating their victories, they're going around giving recognition to, you know, the different account executives or the account managers that got their big renewals and things like that. And they mentioned folks like legal jumped in and customer success managers jumped in and so on. And the solutions consultants jumped in, but they, if they leave out security, like, Hey guys, thanks for taking the, doing those 300 question questionnaires and, you know, being very patient with us and dropping everything you were doing your day-to-day job to help us out with this deal. If that recognition isn't given, that's another indicator of security culture. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a, a British show called The IT Crowd. I love that show. I don't know if you're familiar yeah. with it. Okay. There's a, a memorable scene. Uh, I've used it a couple of times in presentations and, and uh, conference talks I've given where, uh, you know, the company, they're, they're, they're kind of in an all-hands situation. They're standing around in a circle. And the CEO, who's just a, work, a, a piece of, of work, is going around and, and uh, talking about this this project that they had just completed and he's congratulating every uh, you know, every department sales, but you know, from the, from the go uh, that the project was a, a computer, you know, a system, right? So it obviously had a hand, if not a big hand and he's going around and congratulating everybody when it comes to, you could just see the, the, the guys who work in IT, their faces are just getting so excited because they're going to get the recognition. And finally, and he passes a by and congratulates the janitor. <laughs> and, you know, it's that it, I, I felt that the first time I saw that, I felt that because like, yeah, we, you know, whether it be IT or whether it be GRC or InfoSec, we work in um kind of the shadows yeah right if we're doing our jobs right it's a boring day right it's when we're not doing our jobs that things tend to get exciting mm-hmm. and you know so we've been somewhat taught or trained or programmed or conditioned that our our roles should not get recognition because if, if we're getting recognition something's going wrong we didn't pass an audit or there's been a security incident or the network's down. Right. Um, but I see that changing. Right. And I think uh, that's changing because, you know, organizations are seeing the value, especially around trust programs. So I know that's kind of a specialty of yours, right? You, you set up trust programs. Um, how does that fit into culture? I mean, I, I gotta believe there's a there's a connection, there's a correlation there, but I don't know what that might be. Oh, there absolutely is. Um, so trust, at, at the very essence of trust, is why people do business with other people. Um, right. It's also why leaders are able to lead. Like your team has to trust you, and you know it's a two way street. Um, now, when it comes to general, like security, privacy, ethics, um, ESG, ethics, social, and, and, and uh, governance. Those types of things are how you would want to maintain trust with your customers. They also mm-hmm. have a sort of secondary effect 
in how the internal company views itself and how they even they ultimately have to trust themselves because if you have right horrible security and like you have experienced breaches and um those breaches were not handled well right it's not a matter of right. if you get breached it's a matter of when and when you do how well right. prepared you are to to address it how resilient you are as a company um right and the level of transparency that a company embarks on that when they embark on that trust journey, the level of transparency that they provide to the market has this secondary effect where the people that are working for that company look at it and say, oh, we're like telling people what our privacy and security practices are and what our ethics practices are. It instills a level of confidence, not just in you know the average individual contributor or management, it also instills right. trust and confidence in the board of directors. Right. Um, so with all that being said, the level of effort that it takes to build out an entire security and privacy program that's robust enough to take it to that level where you're building out trust programs is, mm-hmm. is significant. It's a, it's yeah. a monumental effort that some people just make look too easy, even though they're doing a lot of that, you know, work in the back and they're kind of like Batman, you know, they, they lurk in the shadows and they get you through <laughs> the audits and right. you know, the day that they mess up is when they start getting, you know, the unwanted attention. But, <clears throat> but having that, having that trust and articulating it so effectively can play a part right. because now you're, that trust program is intended to serve as a business enabler. Security mm-hmm. is often looked at as a cost center. Like you guys cost so right. much money to secure us. Like, what are you really doing right. for the business other than just making, you know, when there isn't an incident? Well, mm-hmm. we're supporting your sales cycle. We're revenue, we're, right. we're, we're enabling revenue generation because there are going to be mm-hmm. customers out there for the company. Um, let's say you want to sell to banks or healthcare companies or critical infrastructure or uh, utilities groups or energy, any of these folks, and especially if you want to sell to the government, you better have some compliance certifications or attestations available to to instill that trust. These folks won't even do business with you if you don't have any of those things, if you don't have a certain degree of security. Um, And uh, so when you take that journey together as a company and the resulting trust program and you're winning deals now because you were able to jump through those hurdles to instill trust in your customer and your security programs and privacy programs. Now there's awareness created across the organization where they're like, okay, this is how we actually articulate how we secure and safeguard the privacy of our customers. Right. And so it sort of kind of weasels its way into culture in a way or another, but, uh, I can't think of anything where I can't think of a situation where trust is looked at in a, in a negative light. Right. The word itself is one of the base principles of anyone's mode of working. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you go to any, I dare you to go to any website and, you know, I'm sure they're out there, but you know, find one that doesn't mention trust either again, explicitly 
or implicitly, right? Because um, who's going to do business with somebody that's like, hey, we don't we don't give a shit, right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you, we we're we're a bunch of 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 people that just don't really pay attention to the details and. You know, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. I don't know. Uh, so trust, I think, is, is like you say, it's, it's almost an intrinsic. Um, one thing I do want to kind of drill down a little bit is I have been in organizations where there is a strong culture of security. And I won't call it compliance because, again, that sounds more like obedience, mm-hmm. but really caring about um doing the right thing for the right reason at the right time right and it manifests itself in the way that people act towards each other the way they talk to one another uh i've witnessed on more than one occasions in more than one organization where you know somebody goes through a a card controlled door mm-hmm. and somebody's coming up right behind them and you're like oh they're going to hitchhike and the person stops and says uh uh-uh. uh right? Buzz in, right? Or do you work here? Or can I help you? Right? They don't just walk through the door and know that the person behind them has just walked in as well. It's the little things like that, right? That speak volumes for how security and compliance is thought about within the organization and how it's woven into the culture. And then you also have companies who, again, don't give a shit. Oh yeah. And it shows. Uh, and I'm sure you've seen plenty of both. I've seen it. I've seen it, uh, as a former auditor, I've seen it happen as I'm auditing. Like I've seen people tailgate others (laughs) and they knew I was the auditor. And I literally would stand there. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, (laughs) obviously (laughs) you just, you just, you're about to get dinged. Like, come on, dude. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, uh, did you see that? There's a well. I mean, I think the most egregious, actually, example of that, Michael, is you know, I, I witnessed this is secondhand, but I witnessed uh, people making up evidence as it was being asked. Oh, geez, yeah, that's and you know that right there is like, are are you kidding me? Right, because it's not it's bad enough, you know, on the scale of a badness, right? It's bad enough that when an auditor is sitting across from you and they're like, you know, hey, I want this is the evidence I want. This is the time period in which I want the evidence from. And you have that gut check moment like, oh shit, mm-hmm. I I don't have it. Right? We lost the logs or something changed and we didn't catch it. You know, there's there's a reason. And yeah, having to put your tail between your legs and actually you know, fess up to that. That's bad enough. And that sucks, but it's the honest thing to do. Uh, instead, what I've seen people go, is like, okay, great. Yeah, we can get that for you. And then run out of the room and go, Hey, <laughs> we need this evidence and I need you to backdate or I need you to fabricate. And you know, that just, um, that should not be, allowed or that should not be uh tolerated in a company that has you know a strong sense of culture on this kind of stuff i mean ethically speaking there is nothing worse than 
fabricating evidence during the course of an audit. Auditors are trained, the good auditors. I've seen some not so strong auditors, but a good auditor. We can tell. We can tell if this thing was slapped together in a frenzy, in a frenzy, like a frantic sort of 15 minutes. All right, we'll come back after this break during our interview and I'll, I'll suddenly have right. evidence. Um, some, some auditors will let it slide. They shouldn't, but they do. Mm-hmm. Others, if, if they catch you doing that, it's not a good, it's not a good day for anyone. Um, no, it could, it could change the course of the rest of the audit because guess what? Now your auditor doesn't trust you. Doesn't, doesn't trust you. Exactly. Right? Yeah. You just you just burn trust. Right it's there. better to take it's uh, better to take a finding or a deficiency than not. Now it depends also on the type of audit. I should I should absolutely pre- you know I should have prefaced it with that. Um, if you're talking about something like, I mean, without getting into technical jargon or anything, I'm trying to stay away from that. Um, but if you're if you're con- undergoing an audit where it's pass or fail, and this is literally between that. Those are cases not where I'm encouraging evidence fabrication, but those are the types right. where folks should be a little more nervous if something is going to come up where it may cause you to fail. Mm-hmm. Then there are other audits like internal audits or um, you know uh, higher level ones like the ISO audits, the International Standards right. Organization for that. Um, right. You could have findings and you could still pass. It's just a matter of you have to address those deficiencies, which if you really do care about security as part of your culture, you're going to address them because you're right. securing your customer's data. Um, so I, I, I think, uh, I, I, you know, on folks fabricating evidence or, or you're not, you're not doing yourself any favors by doing that. Yeah. Maybe you yeah. skin by, you, you get by by the skin of your teeth on this audit, but the next go around, I guarantee you, you're probably going to forget about that one item that you probably should be yeah. getting in a better place before the next time. Yep, uh, agreed. And I, again, it it it's it's indicative, at least in in my experience, it's indicative of larger, more structural issues within the organization. Right. Because in the grand scheme of things, you know, uh, a SOC 2 audit, if you get a, you know, you get a finding or two and you have a, you know, you have a not a clean report, but worse things have happened. Right. I mean, it's not great, but at the same time, worse things have happened. And if somebody or some, some buddies are willing to, you know, fabricate, on those kind of, I don't know, low impact sort of things. What else are they willing to do? Yeah. Right. Um, and that, that for me, if, you know, if I've never been an auditor, but uh, I've been auditor adjacent quite a bit. Uh, and if I, you know, was to ever go into auditing, um, I would definitely want to take that training to, to look for the tells because uh, you know, some people are Enron, I don't know, hearkening back <laughs> a long time ago, but Enron, they, you know, they operated for a very long time, uh, and, and made a lot of money running two sets of books. 
and you know didn't get caught in, in, until you know a series of of um, missteps and misadventures caused it. So um, interesting. Well, let's take a break real quick, and when we come back from the break, uh, what I want to do is give our listeners some you know some concrete things that they can do uh, from a governance and compliance and risk perspective that, you know, they can maybe help change the culture that they have or, or influence in a positive way. You know, uh, we all have a stake in this. So um, I'd like to get your ideas and thoughts on that after the break. Yeah. Love it. Sound good. That's great. Okay. Well, let's let the, uh, the sponsors do their, their thing and uh, we'll see on the other side. All right. And we're back. So before we went on break, uh, or went to the break, I should say, um, I asked, you know, what are some things that people could do? Regard, I mean, if possible, regardless of whether they're an individual contributor or a leader, right? Because some people have greater amounts of influence than others. But what are some things that people can do to help promote a culture of security? and and low risk within their organizations. So if we're talking about security professionals versus mm-hmm. your your everybody else in the organization, um, if you're a security professional, I would say outreach. Reach out to different folks across the organization. They could be at any level really, but building relationships is something that I've seen uh, some security professionals fall short in, uh, even mm. CISOs, actually chief information security officers. It happens all the time. They fail to build those really strong relationships with their peers at the executive level. And oftentimes right. there could be breakdown in communications. Maybe they don't want to talk to the CISO anymore. You know, it's a, it's a really rough job. Um, I'd say for practitioners and professionals, they should yeah, I mean, these cross functions are people that you work with on a day to day, not just from, a, hey, we got to get these security mechanisms in place or these security measures in place. And we need there, you fit somewhere in this puzzle. So, right. In order to influence across the organization, you can't just come out and start swinging your compliance hammer like your Thor. Right. Can't just be. It's a great visual. Saying, everybody yeah. just, just do your, do your fucking training. Just you can't do that. Right. Nobody's going to listen to you. They're going to look at you like, okay, I'll get right on that dick. Like no way. Um, right. But <laughs> so, so, so you have those, you got to come at it from, Hey, like we haven't talked in a while or I have never spoken to you, but you look like an interesting cat. I might be working with you. Uh, let's set up a coffee right. chat. And that's it. Just get to know each other. Let them understand what you really do. Like this for salespeople, if you reach out to sales folks and tell them like, hey, what are your biggest pain points right now when your customers ask about security when you're selling? I guarantee you, if 
in any organization that's first doing this, that does not have a trust program, they will not have ever heard that and will be floored by the question because they're going to tell you right. there is going to be a robust answer to that. Well, um, you know, they ask about it, but I don't know what to say. I don't know where to find my resources centrally where I can just send stuff to them. I don't want to have to bug you every single time. Um, we just don't get questionnaires turned around fast enough. You know, they can break that down. Once you identify that, like in order to solve any problem, you have to understand what the problem is in the first place. Um, right. As a consultancy, we don't just go in guns a blazing, blindly making recommendations. It's idiotic. That's a terrible consultant. Uh, right. You got to listen to your constituents to see what problems you can help them solve. That's how you provide value to the organization. Um, mm -hmm. So, so, Initiating those conversations, building those relationships, offering your help, and then also literally explaining what you do. A lot of people yeah. don't understand nope. what, they don't what know. the health security pros really do. People don't know what GRC is. Right. Um, right. I tell people I work in the field, they're like, oh, are you a hacker or something? They just think <laughs> we're just a bunch of people just sitting in just a bunch of hackers and basements yeah, ba yeah. in our mom's basements no less with the, yeah you know the hood over yeah. our head and you know saying silly things like i'm in you know <laughs> just yeah thank you mr robot yeah, yeah exactly so so you know letting them know uh, and understand exactly what you do for the company and how you contribute your value to them and where you can help them further uh you know, that, that goes a long, long way because not only will they understand what you actually do and have an appreciation for you, but it also will enable them to engage with their empathy muscles. If yeah. they have an ask for you, like they'll have an idea of, okay, you know, again, going back to sales folks, it's the end of the quarter. I'm coming mm -hmm. with this, like, on fire deal. Like, oh my gosh, I need you to help me now. I need, this is like top priority. Might be top right. priority for that account executive. It might not be top priority for sales leadership or um, the security team. Maybe they're going through an audit or they were going through an incident or something. But also you have mm -hmm. other account executives. And I've never seen a company that had more security people than salespeople. So, you know, looking at that balance. <laughs> um, so so right. stopping for a moment and saying, okay, let me just take a breather. Let me see what they can do for me rather than just barreling in and making demands um it'll be received a lot more uh nicely so to speak um right so so that's that's the key to you know having those initial chats and building those relationships for others in the organization reaching out to your security team they're very tired folks your security team is exhausted <laughs> There's not a don't get a lot of sleep. Yeah, we don't get a lot of sleep. We're never they're they're never they're never they don't have enough money. They don't have enough people. They don't have enough uh, uh, tools or resources or, or whatever the case may be. Um, and then there's always someone, whether it's the CEO or the board of directors or you know regulators, breathing down their neck. Um, right. So so bottom line, uh, give us a friggin' break. But <laughs> but uh, but reaching out to them and and you know getting an idea of what they do and and you know if you have wishes right like if you're in product right. if you're a product person a product manager reaching out to your security team and saying hey you know i'm curious are we doing product development correctly 
in terms of security right. and privacy considerations, because there's an there's a concept of security by design and privacy by design. Right. And for those outside of the of the field, uh, I'll basically just say this: Imagine building an entire product and not taking security and privacy into consideration, putting that mm. product into market, and getting the feedback from your customers that that uh, the security and privacy in that product is lackluster and we want it to be better. Otherwise we're not going to buy it. So right. now what you have to do is go back and reverse engineer everything and see where you need to put what you need to put. Uh, right. So getting ahead of the game and en engaging your security team from the very get go will make not only your security team really happy, it'll make everyone else really happy. Um, so yeah, so so identifying areas of collaboration, I, I think that's how you really start building a security culture that's going to be sustainable and healthy and organic. You don't mm -hmm. want to force security culture. It just, no. it never goes well. You can't, you can't, right? Exactly, it doesn't go well. And I think that, uh, you know, one of the things I was, I've, I've always respected about you in what you do is you demystify, right? I mean, I think so often, we go into organizations and, you know, when, when the CISO moves through the room, it's like people like, Oh, mm. that's the, that's the chief information security officer, you know, be careful. You know, they, they're on the lookout for you to doing you know, doing bad shit, right? That's it's, it's that they're going to catch me doing something wrong. They're going to catch me tailgating. They're going to catch me not locking my machine when I walk away. You know, it's just, it's that, you've got to follow the rules and we're just going to sit there and, and watch you monitor you. Uh, and there's, there's really no, I don't know. There's no joy there. No. Right. Um, but you, uh, you know, the time we worked together at the organization that we worked together at, you did a really good job of demystifying and destigmatizing. GRC, you brought it, you brought it to a level where people could, again, understand their part in it and why it was important for them to take the training. Why it was it important for them to, you know, watch out for phishing emails, right? Why it was important for them to, uh, to not set passwords that were easily uh, guessable, right? Um, and I, I thought you did a masterful job of that. So, uh, how could people reach out to you, Michael, if they're interested in, in learning more about what you and Atlas One Security do, do, is there a, a website they can go to a Twitter they can follow? What do you got? Uh, yeah, well, thank you for, for those words. Uh, I try is really all I can say. <laughs> um, but yeah, you can you could uh, you could just go to our website Atlas One. One is spelled out security.com. So Atlas One Security.com. Um, we've got an insights page where we uh, do some thought leadership, have some articles. Um, that's picking up some steam. We've got a new series, a couple of series that are coming up uh, that are centric around uh, trust and what that means and how. <clears throat> 
you can transform your security program into becoming a business enabler. Um, okay. We also have our LinkedIn page, Instagram, Atlas One Security, just all over the place. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much, that's our exposure at the moment. Um, yeah, you can get in touch with us yeah. through all those vehicles. I'm glad you're not making it hard for people to find you. Uh, that's, that's again, uh, I think far too often there are good companies out there who do a terrible job of you know marketing themselves especially on so, social media and from what i can tell of atlas one you, you do a pretty good job of it thank you. um thank you so much for for being a guest on talking culture i've very much enjoyed our conversation hopefully our listeners walk away with a uh, you know a better appreciation for what you know the the folks in grc and infosec and uh risk and trust do and uh yeah give them a break and take them out for coffee every once in a while yeah or more depending on the day you've had <laughs> or more there, there you go that might be a stronger drink than just coffee um well i appreciate your time michael and uh thanks again for showing up thank you thank you for having me